Welcome, one and all, to the Death-Defying Human Flycast. My name is Max Romero, and I'll be your host on this one-of-a-kind journey into the world of the superhero stuntman called the Human Fly. The wildest superhero ever, because he was real. Today, we're joined by a very special guest, Supergirl superfan, friend of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, that man of medical mayhem, Dr. Ange. Ange, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I can't thank you enough for inviting me. Um, I have a little bit of a history with the human fly, not much, but I totally loved reading this issue for a, a whole bunch of different reasons. Let's get into it. You, we had talked about it uh, a little bit earlier, and uh, we both agreed it's a pretty fun issue. So you, I think, are the first person to tell me that you have any kind of <laughs> you know, previous background with the human fly. So to, why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I have to say it is really, really tiny, which is that I can remember seeing ads for this comic in Marvel Comics that I was buying off the rack from the 7-Eleven down the street from me. Mm -hmm. And I was really, really intrigued by it, uh, the ads, because he was real. And um, <laughs> and those ads, I believe, had images of the first cover, which I thought mm -hmm. was just absolutely dynamic. So I bought human fly number one did you like, really off, off the rack because uh, oh, i was like this guy's crazy you gotta um <laughs> understand like i'm relatively old and so i can remember evil knievel being like yeah. a thing i can remember you know watch whatever abc's wide world of sports or whatever you know to mm -hmm. see him jump over these buses and i mean i even had the evil knievel doll and motorcycle that you put on the red ramp that yeah. you sort of like revved up and so I kind of grew up with this, you know, daredevil type stuff. And then as crazy as it sounds, I got human fly number one, I read it. And then I was like, this isn't for me. So I never <laughs> bought another one, um, uh, which I think is, which I think is kind of crazy because back then, I mean, whatever you saw on the rack is what you bought. Um, and mm -hmm. so I continued to buy comics up from the Seven Eleven. I never picked up another human fly. I don't remember like honestly saying like I will never get another one of these, but <laughs> since I never bought another one, it it must have like just not grabbed me. Right. And then of course that number one issue was like lost and whatever. One of the parental purges that happened mm -hmm. uh, when you move out of your parents and a bunch of your comics get tossed. <laughs> right. Who know? I used to get my comics from a Seven Eleven also, and who knows if they even had? I don't know how how good your Seven Eleven was, but mine almost never had continuing issues. Yeah, it was always, you know, you, you kept your fingers crossed. I can remember mm -hmm. that the first, like, comic that I bought monthly was The Flash during a Carrie Bates um, mm -hmm. run. And I was able to get almost all of them. But there were three in the midst of whatever this, you know, <laughs> 18 months that just weren't there. And back then there were no stores. So you're just no. like, I guess I'll never get them. So. Right. I think Firestorm was the only comic I was ever able to buy semi-regularly. And even then that kind of, you know, just petered out at some point. But, you know, I could always get a copy of Lowrider magazine if I wanted it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, so I'm going to go ahead and call it right now, Ange. I'm going to say that you were probably going to be the only person who actually picked up issue number one off the rack. That's That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, yeah, I can remember very vividly that if there was an ad that struck me, mm -hmm. that um, that I would definitely look for that book. So um, showcase number 94, which was the new Doom Patrol, like mm -hmm. that just got me. And I remember seeking out that issue. And then Human Fly number one is another one that I can remember that the ad was enough to get me. So now that you've read, I mean, we won't get too much into it because we'll get into it later in the in the in the show. But having read this issue now, 
do you think younger Ange should have kept up with the human fly? Yeah, I mean, I would say the the issues that you covered with Rob, with mm. <laughs> uh, with that mountain yeah. base and two people attacking each other, like you read these now, um, and uh, they're just joyous in, in that um, they're just well constructed, uh, a little bit crazy superhero action that's almost like you know a summer movie blockbuster every issue. So. Um, <laughs> That, that I, uh, having read this issue, um, I wish that I had gotten this issue back then because this is pretty crazy. Yeah. It's the, the first issue. I can see why it might not, cause it's, it's an origin issue yeah. and it, it's introducing, you know, three other characters and cause Arnie gets, you know, <laughs> he doesn't get an introduction for some reason. Uh, and yeah, I can see where you, where a reader, especially a young reader might go, well, there's not a whole lot of action in this necessarily. But, you know, that that picks up with every issue following. I mean, the next one is, I, you know, if I'm remembering correctly, it's the Ghost Rider issue. So, you know, yeah. it, it ramps up pretty quick. I mean, we do have Spider-Man in the first issue. But, you know, it's, no, I, I can see where it's not as action-packed as, as especially a young reader might want. But this issue takes place, the, the setting for this is an amusement park. Are you an amusement park guy, Ange? Um, I, I am, uh, and this particular amusement park reminds me of back, uh, I grew up in Rhode Island, uh, and there was like kind of like a cut rate amusement park there called uh, Rocky Point that this mm-hmm. reminded me of very much. <laughs> really? There, there's a, a couple of clues here and there where it's, you can tell this amusement park is supposed to be Coney Island. Yeah. They, they mentioned Nathan's at one point, and the, yeah. The um, the roller coaster is named the Typhoon, I think, instead of the Cyclone. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it, I am not an amusement park guy. I am, and I mentioned this in the last episode, but I am deathly afraid of heights. So amusement parks are pretty much all about going to high places and fast drops, and that is not <laughs> me. <laughs> so, but it it did remind me of because I also have family in California, which is the, the like the homeland of the big modern amusement park. And uh, I was the kid who would always be on the bench with everyone's purses and jackets. <laughs> so uh, the, the, the amusement parks, especially the big ones where you have to kind of haul yourself around, uh, were not a lot of fun for me, even though I did like Universal Studios, because there weren't any rides at that. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, you got to see all these movies, you know, you got to see the cycle house and, and all that sort of thing. But it also reminded me of a local park in El Paso where I grew up called Western Playland. And it was a very small amusement park. It was kind of in the middle of the city on the, um, I guess it would be the lower valley, which is the neighborhood I grew up in, which is, was and kind of still is uh, a lower income neighborhood kind of, you know, it's little stores and, and uh, res- local restaurants and houses and that sort of thing. And Western Playland was one, <laughs> it was one of those places that everyone went to in the summer. They had, I remember there's some that were like legendary in, in the city. There was the Himalaya, which was basically kind of a roller coaster cart that just went in circles, <laughs> but it went up and down and it went really fast. Yeah. 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 While, uh, you know, especially in the eighties, the air metal was playing. So <laughs> you, you got some Motley Crue with your, with your, uh, you know, vertigo. Uh, there was a small uh, roller coaster called the Crazy Mouse, which was for kids, but is still the only actual roller coaster I've ever been on. And, and uh, the Gold Nugget, which was a uh, like a ghost house kind of haunted house sort of ride, which I really really enjoyed because there was something in that I even when I knew they were coming, they still scared the hell out of me. And of course, you know, it's this is the kind of amusement park where the most thrilling thing was the idea that anything could just spontaneously fly apart and at any given moment. I don't know if the park you grew up if Rocky Point was like that or not, but that's that was part of the uh, the fun of Western Playland. Yeah, it's totally the same thing. First of all, ours was called the Rock and Roll Express, so it was <laughs> you, you went in a circle and you went up and down and occasionally you would go backwards. It was Def Leppard, yeah, not exactly. Motley Crew. <laughs> but it was that it was that time period. And you're right, you would look at things and you'd say, everything looks a little bit rusted. Everything <laughs> looks like a like the roller coaster is a little bit dilapidated wood. Um, I could die. But you would but that probably added to the adrenaline of the whole experience. So yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. Do you still enjoy going to 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't go to them as much as I like, but I am, you can imagine just based upon my, um, my chosen career, I am kind of an adrenaline junkie. So if I do go to one, it's always like, you know, the thing that is like, we put you in a chair, we bring you up six floor, like the, the no, six no, stories, no, no, and then no. we drop you, right? Or, you know, the, the, the huge roller coasters that now like accelerate up the hill so that you go down the Oof. hill even faster. <laughs> Like I can't get enough of that stuff. Oh no, no. Oh. See, just just <laughs> thinking about it, I have goosebumps. No way. I could <laughs> never, ever do that. My sister is like that. She the the higher it goes, the 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 most minimal <laughs> safety requirements on a ride is the, the more she likes it. I I cannot do it. I just can't do it. But I've I envy everyone who can. Amazing. We're gonna take a quick break. We're going to hit the concession stand for some hot dogs and cotton candy. And when we come back, we'll climb aboard for a ride called Fear in Funland, issue six of The Human Fly. Hey, hey, go! Wait, you like movies? Yeah, I love to talk, film, discuss, to critique. You want to see a film with me? <laughs> Film and Water Podcast, a weekly show about movies old and new, hosted by obsessive movie nerd Rob Kelly and a rotating series of special guests. From sci-fi to horror, dramas to family films, comedies to adventure epics, we watch it all. The Film and Water Podcast is part of the Fire and Water family of podcasts, available weekly at fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. So we're going to be working together? Really? Worst film you ever saw? Well, my next one will be better. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year is 1994 or 1944 or maybe 2994. Time is under threat and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis? And how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Legion. Welcome back to the Death Defying Human Flycast. Today we're looking at Fear and Funland, issue six of The Human Fly. This issue was written by Bill Mantlow. Art is by Frank Robbins. Rod A. Santiago was the inker. Letters are by June Christie. Colors by Francois Mouly. And the whole thing was edited by Archie Goodwin. Our story begins with The Human Fly chaperoning a group of kids at the Funland Amusement Park. The kids are the children of parents with disabilities, and it's not explained whether this is meant as a break for the parents, the kids, or what, but everyone's having a good time <laughs> this analog for Coney Island. At the target shoot, the fly and the kids get the bums rush from the barker, and soon after, the fly notices a sharp-dressed man named Slade pick up one of the rifles and load a special bullet into it. He hits a target, and a mysterious back door opens to the haunted house right next door. Suspicious, the fly investigates while his crew, Blaze, Ted, and Arnie, keep the kids amused. Meanwhile, investigative reporter Harmony White is getting an earful from her editor, who tells her that she had promised an expose on the fly, so that's what she'd better produce. Harmony's insistence that the fly might be a good guy after all falls on deaf ears. Back at Funland, the fly runs into another tough guy at the Tunnel of Fear. After trading some banter, the fly leaps over the carny and into the tunnel. The thug calls Slade, and soon the gang leader and his cronies are lying in wait to ambush the human fly. Using his cape as a distraction, though, the fly instead waylays the gangsters. Going deeper into the tunnel, the human fly discovers what's really going on at Funland, a chop shop. Dozens of stolen cars are hidden here with mechanics working to make the vehicles ready for sale on the streets. 
After some stunning acrobatics and fisticuffs, the fly makes it to a skylight, just barely managing to avoid being shot by Slade. Up and out, the human fly is seemingly trapped until he leaps to the nearby parachute jump ride. Slade and his boys keep up the chase, getting on the ride to get a better shot at the human fly. Back on the ground, Ted, Blaze, and Arnie try to take care of the remaining crooks, with Arnie even getting a solid right cross in. The fly climbs to the top of the ride where the center doesn't spin, while Ted fixes the parachute jump to spin even faster. Now dizzy and more than a little queasy, Slade and his boys are easily taken into custody. The day is saved, with the human fly saying he won't take another day off until he's recovered from this one. The end. So, what did you think? Oh, I thought this was, every page was just a ton of fun. There is so many um, things about this issue that, that I really liked. Some of it's a little bit outrageous, and you know, <laughs> you, can, you can imagine that there are some plot points here that don't seem to make a lot of sense. <laughs> but I just thought the whole thing was just a really great adventure story and really showcased uh, who the human fly is and, and what he's capable of doing and, and really what he's not capable of doing. So mm-hmm. uh, I just thought it was uh, a blast to read from beginning to end. There's a panel in this comic where the human fly again insists that he is not a superhero. And uh, Slade, the gang leader, because one of his cronies kind of freaks out when they when they see the fly and he tells him, no, no, that's not Daredevil. That's just some that's just some stunt guy, which is which is nice. Someone recognizes the human fly. <laughs> but also it, it's interesting that this is, you know, considering his past adventures in the last you know two or three issues, uh, this kind of brings the human fly back down to a street level as far as you know what kind of hero he is and who he is trying to protect in a way, you know, he's not out there to be a superhero. He's, you know, he just keeps finding himself in these situations, but he rises to the occasion. And one thing I really liked is the human fight was, he was more quippy in this, in this issue than he has been before. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. I have a asterisk next to um, in, uh, in the version that I'm reading or, or in my notes in that one panel where he says, you know, he sees that it's a chop shop and he goes, I'm no crime fighter. I have to like escape this right now and, and tell the police what's <laughs> happening here. And he does try to, you know, he, he just wants to get out of there until this guy Slade shows up and with his cronies with guns. And then all of a sudden it, it's on. Uh, yeah. So I, I thought that was great. And then the, the cool thing about it is that he then has to escape this haunted house. And so he's doing flips. There's like one page where he's like jumping through a tire, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. which I thought was like such a great page. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about the art, but Robin mm-hmm. draws him as just ripped. But also, um, uh, also really quite gangly, like the panel of him getting out of the, that skylight. Like I had to look at it a whole bunch of times and say, like, how is this even anatomically possible? Like his foot is out at an awkward angle. There's the other leg is behind him at an awkward angle. It's, it's just mm-hmm. very strange. But that I thought added to it that he sort of is like, um, you know, I'm going to be lucky if I escape this alive because I don't have superpowers. And in fact, he gets lucky at one point that, you know, a swinging chain or hook gets mm-hmm. in the way of the bullet. Uh, he's lucky, you know, because right. he is just a guy that would have killed him. So so I thought that that was good. It did bring it down to a street level, but it showed that, you know, hey, to be the daredevil that I am, I have to be jacked, you know, <laughs> really <laughs> right. built, but also kind of limber and mm-hmm. and uh, and flexible in a way that I'm going to be able to sort of do these things that uh, I'm going to have to do to escape. Right. Yeah. In In past issues, they kind of allude to how agile the fly is you you and you see it here and there but i think this is the first issue that really really shows it because you as you mentioned he's doing all these flips he's he's jumping back and forth he, he jumps through that tire which is an amazing panel and uh you know he swings up to the skylight he's just always on the move while people are shooting at him and like you said yeah he he would much rather have just like snuck back and called the cops i think but uh he rises to the occasion when it happens and he, uh, I think he kind of knows that he's getting by on his, his athleticism and luck because it's just, like you said, it's not something he necessarily <laughs> feels qualified to be doing, but he does it anyway, which I, I think is, is really kind of cool. And like you said, Frank Robbins, his art, he just, yeah, he makes the fly just look like, you know, a Greek God <laughs> you know, striding the earth in a cape with a baton of his. But the fly's inner monologue always kind of belies that, which is really interesting for a comic book superhero because you never hear 
real doubts from a from a hero and that kind of just ties in i think with what the fly how he sees himself is not as a hero yeah yeah i mean it's funny like you know i collect commissions and i like to look at original comic art and that page 17 when he's jumping through the tire i'm like that would be the page i would buy Mm -hmm. in this book if i could buy one because it starts out he's doing this like crazy like flying kick then he like does a flip through the tire um it's just really wonderful right yeah, and and I think uh, then the shot that Slade gets off that by chance is blocked by that chain. I you know I think you feel that tension. You know, <laughs> I think you kind of you can kind of sense that if it wasn't for just pure luck at the end there, that would have been you know probably it for the fly. Yeah, in, in spite of all the acrobatics and everything else. So, what did you think of the cover? Um, it certainly is vibrant. At least the copy that I have is this bright yellow and. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I think it is, again, it's, it's a little bit crazy in that there were these two <laughs> gangsters on whatever, this parachute ride, right. you know, so uh, it's a little weird, but certainly the fly is quite dynamic in the center of it, kicking the gun out of one guy's hands. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know how he's going to survive this. <laughs> you know, he's like basically in midair. I don't know where he's going to end up landing um, right. if this is as high up as, uh, as it looks like it's going to be. Yeah. But, you know, uh, if you say this would be on a spinner rack somewhere, it's bright yellow, so it grabs you. And then it's action-packed. So I think if you saw it all, you'd be like, oh, I'll put my 35 cents down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. The The yellow, to me, really uh, stands out just because you don't usually see covers like this. I mean, this is a color. I mean, it, it is the dominant color. It's not a spot color. It's the background. It's not something you would usually see. I think on a on a comic book cover, especially from this era, the way it's drawn, you can see that they're at at a certain height because you don't see the ground. You can see things below them. You can see that the fly is coming from even an even higher yeah. <laughs> spot to kick that gun out of Slade's hand. And then there's a guy on the uh, on the very left edge taking a shot at the fly with that bullet going through his cape twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, and then you have that big kind of burst there. This is fear and fun land. You have the fly's logo, which is blue and red against that yellow. It just really pops. Another great cover. I, I, keep, I think I say this every episode, but the, these human fly covers are some of my favorite comic book covers. Yeah, certainly. Uh, again, I, who knows if I saw it, but um, looking at it now, it definitely be would be one of the ones that I would say like looks like it's worth a purchase. And then you open it up to the first page and uh, which has been a splash page traditionally. And it is probably one of the weirder splash pages <laughs> that we've seen so far because it's the human fly just crammed into this roller coaster car surrounded by kids. Uh, he's got his arm around one of them. He's holding onto the bar with another and he's got his foot. <laughs> Like it's almost kind of hanging out on on the top of this roller coaster. It's, this guy is not afraid of anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. The the first thing I saw when I saw the splash page, or the first thing I thought was, you know, it that position can't be safe. <laughs> His foot up on the bar like that, right? You know. Um, and as you said, you know, this already looks like one of those amusement parks that maybe everything isn't safe, right? So <laughs> so it just adds to it. And we get a we get a little foreshadowing also because in the background we can see the parachute ride we can see the haunted house which is a, a nice little touch I think from Robbins you know he didn't have to do that yeah I also liked um, uh, the title it, itself fear in Funland where fear is in this like eerie looking mm-hmm. font and then Funland is in this like oh look it's a wacky font and every letter is a different color right uh, right uh, nice juxtaposition there I thought nice uh, nice eye grabbing so what did you think of Slade. He's he's kind of a different uh, bad guy that we've seen so far for the for the fly. Yeah, he's certainly dressed in a way that you would expect, <laughs> uh, you know, an African American crook uh, in a comic from the seventies to uh, to look and right. But I liked the fact that he clearly was in charge because mm-hmm. he also seems to be like making fun of the the guys that he's working with uh, constantly. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I I thought that was great. You know, he seems to be the, the of all of them, the one that seems to be the most. Um, what do I want to say? Uh, he has the most criminal skills and acumen, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, where uh, he seems to 
He knows who the human fly is. He knows what they're trying to do. He's the one that almost kills him. Uh, so he seems to be sort of like uh, the most professional of all of the criminals uh, in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. He is the he's definitely the boss. There's no doubt about that. He's also the the smartest and most competent among them. You know, he I, I would think you can't take charge of a bunch of goons like this, you know, if you don't know what you're doing and if you can't kind of have that ability to, to herd these crap, these cats. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and he, he definitely does that. And I think, you know, yes, in he, you know, this is from 1978. So of course he speaks in that, you know, black exploitation kind of way, but it's not too heavy handed. And, I like you said, I think it's balanced out by the fact that Slade is obviously not some dumb pushover. First of all, he's running this chop chop in the, in the yeah. middle of a, of a of an amusement park. And also, you know, he kind of holds his own against the human fly until the very end there. So yeah. I, I actually really enjoyed uh this character a lot. I would have liked to have seen him kind of come back in some way. Yeah, it's funny for me because, um, you know, as you said, at the end, it's only that the fly's uh, colleague at the bottom seems to intuit, oh, I should just ramp up the speed of this thing to disorient them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's not as if the human fly yells down to him. He just knows that he should do that because he sees where the human fly is, that if that didn't happen, there's a chance he wins. Right. Right. You know, it's only because he's whipped around and so dizzied and disoriented. That he's able to be so easily captured. Yeah, which is a great way of taking out the bad guys. I'm going to ask you for your medical expertise, Ange. Yeah. How likely is that? I mean, how long would it take for someone to get dizzy enough that they're incapacitated like that? Yeah, I mean, the thing that gets me is that I can't imagine that this rig would be set up to spin that fast, right? (laughs) You know, so so that that was the one thing. uh, that sort of I felt was was not quite right mm-hmm. uh, uh, for him to just be like, oh, you know, I mean, he looks completely <laughs> incapacitated by this. I don't think it would be possible. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, in the comics, everything is possible. That's but, right. Yeah, as we said, you know, it's it's a fun issue, and it's it's a fun way to take out the bad guys. It ended up not being the human fly beating the hell out of everyone. It was more everyone just got so dizzy <laughs> yeah. know, that they just went down and said, okay, let's take them in. And it's it's a good, uh, I think it's a good button on how this whole issue goes. Yeah, just seems, uh, and the cops are right there, right? Uh, yeah. To sort of uh, take the guys away. So that's cool. <laughs> I also like there's a panel on page five of uh, after, the, after the fly gets suspicious from the treatment that they get at the uh, shooting range. What it looks like is that he basically climbs a flagpole <laughs> to, to, to take a look at the at the amusement park from a from a different uh, angle, and that I thought was just so silly and charming <laughs> uh, because it also seems very much like well yeah of course that's what the human fly would do of course he'd shimmy up a, a flagpole just to take a look around yeah. It's it's so funny because you can tell um, either we're of like minds or, you know, this is quality because I also wrote great page on the top of that page. The things that got me about that is um, Robbins draws his back mm-hmm. huge, right? This guy just does a lot of back exercise. But more importantly, <laughs> it's like you said, he shimmied up the flagpole. If you look at the way Robbins draws his legs, mm-hmm. right, he's had to like hook his legs in a certain way to keep himself steady on this. Right. That looks the way that somebody who knows how to shimmy up a flagpole would do. Right. Uh, they're really like hooked and crooked into each other. But it also brings up another point of the art that I wanted to say, which is that I think Robbins doesn't want him to have a cape because yeah. the cape is always kind of off to the side in some sort of way that makes it like not seem like a cape. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I agree. And I, I can see why, because I think drawing muscular heroes is something that Frank Robbins was obviously very good at yeah, and uh, something he probably enjoyed <laughs> just, just from, you know, reading these issues. And yeah, I can see uh, for him, the Kate probably just gets in the way of that. And I 
kind of agree. I, I think when the fly is posing or on the ground or whatever, the, the cape is fine. Like, you know, the cape is part of his look. But I love the way the costume looks without the cape. I think it just looks so muscular and just so life. You know, it's it's a great look. It's a great costume, I think. I still don't understand the rocket on the belt, but you know, that's 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 just me. Yeah, but let me ask you, one of the kids that he's taking has that rocket symbol mm-hmm. on a t-shirt. Would you buy that merch? Oh, I would buy it all day long. Uh, I, I, I saw it and I was like, I might buy that now. There must be a way that I can make that as an iron on. Yes, <laughs> I would totally wear that. You know? and, and I would, and, you know, it, it would be like a secret club or a password. You know, only certain people would know what the hell that's about. Yeah. No, I, to- I noticed that <laughs> as well. And this page also is where we get to see what Harmony is doing, which is apparently reporting with a half shirt. This is more of Harmony remembering that she's an actual journalist and coming over to the the truth of what the fly is up to, which is, you know, really nothing. You know, he's he's just trying to do good. And what, what did you think of that little sequence? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. So first of all, it is. It's a crazy getup. She's in this green half shirt. She's wearing these like green see-through almost goggles. Looks <laughs> very space age. But I did like the fact that this, his, whatever, her editor is saying, you know, you promised that you would get me dirt. You have to do that. And she says, right, you know, I think I've changed. I don't think he's a charlatan. I think he's actually out to do a lot of good, right? And it's such a great mirror to the beginning part of this where he's, you know, he's bringing kids to an amusement park, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he yeah. just wants to do good and really great, um, you know, end to that scene where he's like, I don't care. You're going to get me a story. And she compares herself to Judas, right? You know, Judas mm-hmm. was played in silver, right? You know, um, uh, I don't want to, you know, you say you'll pay me for this, but I don't know if I want that sort of money uh, for a guy who grew up Catholic. That's like a that's a hammer home line, you know. Right. Um, so I I was glad that interlude was there because mm-hmm. I do think it kind of keeps this underlying plot of she's digging and digging, but maybe she's starting to realize she shouldn't be. I thought a nice interlude. And I don't know if you've if you've been keeping up with the issues or not that we've done so far, but I think that Harmony is besides the human fly, Harmony is probably the most important character in in these uh in the story and you know that is something that in the beginning i was not expecting i didn't expect that she was going to be kind of this very interesting subplot because the the other characters don't don't get us up they're there to help but harmony has an actual story going on yeah i've been listening to every issue and following along and so um i'm very interested in seeing where all of this turns out because I, I think she had like, here are the three people that I think the human fly is going to be. And I'm going to try to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, um, I have to assume we never find out who the human fly is given the real life story. Um, right. And so to see her story kind of evolve, I think shows that Mantlo, you know, this wasn't just a, oh, let me put something out there. He had, he had a long game in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think she's also kind of, I guess the stand in for the people that the fly affects because she you know, is really just kind of this muckraking journalist. She doesn't care necessarily about the truth. She wants to get what she has already decided is the story. And, you know, what she thinks that the fly is just, I don't know, some sort of crook or some kind of, you know, that she says charlatan, you know, someone who's just out to take advantage of people. But the fly, just by dint of who he is and what he does, is starting to actually have that effect that he keeps saying that he wants to have in, you know, putting good out into the world and hoping that that has an effect on people. Harmony is how we see that, how we see that coming into play. Yeah. Agreed. And her, her fashions blow me away. I don't know what Harmony's going to do next. <laughs> yeah. She looks like a member of the Legion of Superheroes in this, or maybe a little right. bit of spit. Yeah. A little spitfire maybe from the invaders uh, would be more apt <laughs> given Robbins, but like you mentioned, uh, I like that Slade kind of makes fun of, especially he's, he makes fun of the way his goons talk because they talk very, you know, dis and dare and Hey, you know, and I'm going to shoot you in the liver and all, you know, all this, <laughs> all this gangster talk. And he, I think Slade even asked him, man, where do you get all that stuff? And the guy actually tells him, well, from TV, where else? 
And I think that's great because Manlo obviously is in on the joke. He's writing this, but he's also kind of, you know, acknowledging that. Well, you know, I wanted to say um, uh, it maybe would have been more um, appropriate for Rob uh, to do this issue because (laughs) he, you know, um, there are three specific things about this that are pulled uh, directly from the movie, The Maltese Falcon. So uh, in page six, when Slade says, the cheaper the crook, the gaudier the patter, huh? That is something that Humphrey Bogart says to um, Wilmer, played by Elisha Cook Jr. in The Maltese Falcon. And then, yeah. And then on uh, one of the pages where he goes, you know, he's going to be picking lead out of his liver. That is a line directly said by... Vilmer, the wow. uh, the hood in the Maltese Falcon, and oh, then wow. um, at the bottom of that page where it says both gunsels empty their weapon um, yeah. throughout the Maltese Falcon, um, Humphrey Bogart calls the guy who has this gaudy crook patter calls him a gunsel. Oh, you're just a gunsel. Yeah. Uh, uh, so. Um, specifically from the Maltese Falcon, which is why I thought it was so funny when he's like, where do you, where do you hear all of this stuff? The guy goes, the movies, where else? Right. Because it's like, yeah, it's directly yeah. from the Maltese Falcon. Oh, wow. So, I just oh. thought that was great. Well, that's a great catch. I didn't, I did not know that. And I've, you know, and I love those movies. I love Humphrey Bogart and I, you know, yeah. I, you know, the Maltese Falcon is a classic, but I did not pick up on that at all. Yeah. So, so I just thought this was like, for me, I'm a huge fan of that movie. I was like, yeah. that's just great. He, that is, you know, <laughs> This is like a book from 1977. I was whatever, seven, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I probably would not have picked that up then. Uh, right, but right. now having seen that movie a billion times, I was like, oh, Mantler was putting in little Maltese Falcon stuff. So I loved it. Man, see, that's what I'm, that's what I'm telling you. Every time I read these comics, I get something new out of it. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea. Now I'm yeah. gonna have to see if you know if Key Largo or <laughs> or something shows up in the you know shows up in one of these other issues. Yeah, yeah, just amazing. Just the word gunsel. The yeah. only place I've ever heard that is in the <laughs> You know, I think that's one of those words I learned from comics. Now that I think about it, uh, yeah. And there's another panel on eleven that I don't know why it made me laugh so much the first time I saw it. But the fly is in the in the tunnel of fear. He's alone in that little boat. And he's surrounded by spiders and bats and skulls and a sea monster. And he's just sitting there with his fist on his, on his knee. And he says, charmed, I'm sure. <laughs> and I don't know what would possess someone to do that. <laughs> but like I said, this is probably the most quippy version of the, of the fly that we've seen so far. Because there's no one around. He's just yeah. talking to himself. You know? <laughs> I kind of feel like with this... Well, kind of with a lot of issues, but I think Mantlo is kind of letting the character grow and also experimenting with what direction he wants to take the character in. One thing that I think is kind of cool is that even though he's doing that, the core of the character stays the same. I mean, this is still the same human fly that we saw in issue one and up to now. I, I agree with you. I mean, there's not much more I can say. He yeah. does, um, uh, you know, he does seem to be um, uh, trying to figure out exactly what's going on and and kind of giving um, as well as uh, as getting from these guys. Mm-hmm. Are you a car guy at all, Ange? Uh, not really. Not yeah. really. Because there's a that panel with the um, all the cars that are there in the chop shop. And you know, for the most part, they look like standard 70s sedans. But there is one car in the middle that looks like some sort of sports car. And I can yeah. it looks familiar, but I cannot put my finger on it. And I'm I'm hoping maybe someone, <laughs> you know, who's listening to this will put it in the comments if they can recognize that car. But that looks so familiar, but it's driving me crazy because I do not know what car that is. Yeah, it is. It, it does look sharp. I'm trying to think of sports cars from that time. It's definitely not a classic Corvette. I can at least say that. So, you know, as it goes on, there is that fight scene that you mentioned, which is really great. Even though for, for some reason, one of the bad guys says, you got me, you, you shlemiel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, seems, it seems like kind of a stretch even for, even for the time. But yeah, you know, just again, that is such a great series there because he's jumping from, he swings from a hook, he jumps to a car, he jumps off a, a hood at one point, uh, does a flip, goes through that tire is is the tire actually hitting someone else while he's flying through it? 
What, yeah, what, it, something it, happens because another guy is getting getting whacked on the other side of that, and then he jumps from there and up to the skylight. I mean, all all this must have taken what two three seconds. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but it's it is a great sequence. It is really good, and again, it just really kind of shows the fly's uh, athleticism. Yeah. And for me, the big thing is that he's just trying to escape, right? Mm -hmm. This is, this isn't like, Oh, I'm going to be Batman and I'm going to flip and then land a killer right hook on you. Right. He's like, I just got to get out of here. Um, And thank goodness I see that skylight so that I can try to get out of here. He's trying to avoid action. I think more than anything else. Yeah, I think so too. So this is about the time in the story when uh, his crew starts getting involved and people have been 50, 50 about the crew. Do you think story-wise, do you think the crew adds to the Fly's storyline or, or do you think that he would be better off without them? In this issue, I think they detract mm-hmm. um, because I think it's Arnie who punches out a guy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that seems a little bit out of character for him. And I think they even call, they, they call it, they're like, you know, uh, uh, I didn't know that you had it in you. And he's like, uh, you know, I didn't know I had it in me either. Right. Mm-hmm. So they actually get a little bit more action than the human fly does. And, and they end up saving the day because down at the bottom, they're the one that, that they're like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, Jimmy with this thing to make it go even faster so that the fly stays safe. So, I, I mean, I guess having watched innumerable CW shows, right? The, mm-hmm. You know, those yeah. are ensemble casts where there are these people that sort of help the main character. But in this instance, um, I wish that the fly had been more involved in defeating these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I can, I can see that because yeah, for the most part, he kind of sets it up, but he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't necessarily do what it needs to, what needs to be done to take them out of commission. So we talked about Frank Robbins and uh, how he draws the fly. What do you think of the way he draws everyone else? It, you know, I, I have to admit when I first encountered Frank Robbins as a kid, mostly in the invaders, mm-hmm. I was like, this is really sort of like ugly. I still mm-hmm. bought the invaders because I love the characters. I have gone a hundred percent the other way. Like I love his art and there are some panels that as I was reading this, I was like, oh, classic Robbins, like these like really bizarre looking faces of people mm. screaming um, are, are the ones that I kind of said like, oh, like, you know, I describe him as ugly, beautiful is probably the best way. Mm. Um, on page 11, that page where you were like, where he says, chimed, I'm sure mm-hmm. uh, there's some guy that's like, you know, slay the Terry, listen. And he's just like right. at the snarl as he's screaming into the phone. And there's another one I think of Slade later on. Yeah, page 26, where he's like, I thought you said he was trapped. And he goes, he was, he was. He almost looks like rodent-like uh, in, in that panel. Uh, I wrote Pure Robbins right next to it. Uh, but I just really, uh, I just really love his art. Everything is like a little bit, I don't want to say hyper real, like mm-hmm. just a little bit like through the looking glass, mm-hmm. you know, when people are running or things like that. But it's eye candy to me it just pushes the forward the story forward so well it really does and i think he's really well paired with uh with these characters because it is so physical and he does that so well ciscoid in the in the last episode called it ragdolling uh <laughs> what uh what the fly does with with you know, as you were saying things that seem kind of anatomically questionable <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but for some reason it it works and you know i'm sure there's other artists who could have done that but somehow robbins just really has his uh his finger on that style and really pulls it off and i know what you're talking about with because like in the last panel well actually in the last couple of panels you'll see there's uh you know there's some kids around and you know the, the crew is there and in one of the panels, the little girl looks like a curl magnet. She has this brow that <laughs> you could set a cup of coffee on. And and then in the next panel, she looks kind of like a doll, almost like this blank eyed <laughs> doll. And for some reason, if I had seen that from another artist, it would have bothered me. But like you said, it's just Robbins. Yeah. And and sometimes, you know, he, he misses the mark a little bit, especially on faces. But uh, most of the time, it's just very... You know what it reminds me of, actually, and you made me think of this. Do you remember those 
God, I want to say it was was it a Genesis video or something like that? The these these British kind of puppets that were yes. of political figures and and that sort of thing. That's kind of what Robbins reminds me of. It's yeah. that kind of hyper reality, but kind of not real either. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Land of Confusion by yeah, Genesis. That's the one. Uh, that is exactly it. I'm jealous at Siskoid saying ragdoll, like, because that's it. Even <laughs> some of the panels of people running mm-hmm. look in my mind like a stuffed animal that somebody threw. Like, I guess it's kind <laughs> of like running, but I don't know if your leg should really go that way. But, but I just love it. I just mm-hmm. absolutely love it. I think it just works so well for this character. You know, maybe, maybe even more than, I mean, I could see it with Spider-Man, I guess, and maybe Daredevil, but you know, there's so many characters that this just wouldn't fit for, but it fits really well for this character. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the things that makes this, uh, an enjoyable series. I think I'm glad they got Frank Robbins on this when they did. You're you're now a human fly fan. I would, I would say, right. So (laughs) do you think there would be room in the modern, Marvel Universe for a character like the Human Fly. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, and I don't read enough of the. I think that there certainly is room in comics for a character like this. Mm-hmm. And in, in fact, I think given how uh, sometimes overly grim and gritty and uh, and dark uh, heroes are, um, I think the world needs a human fly comic of a guy that's like, I'm just here to inspire people. I've been through a lot and I'm going to take kids to an amusement park and I'm just going to try to spread good around the world. I actually think there is room. And, and I think that you could maybe play up his heroics a little bit more and Mm -hmm. not have him be like, Oh, I'm not a hero. He could be like, no, I'm also a hero, but I'd love to see something like this. I'm just a guy who's well-trained but right. I'm also nice. So I'm like Batman, <laughs> but, but not Batman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that is, that is such a good way of putting it. You know, he is someone who just wants to be nice. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of that going around anymore, but you know, even in this era of Marvel, it was a lot of drama and uh, you know, a lot of things going on with, uh, you know, different characters and their interactions and that sort of thing. And uh, something you you said made me think, yeah, you know, he just, this day started for the human fly of him just trying to take some kids out to an amusement park. He wasn't on patrol. He wasn't hunting down a lead or anything like that. He was just taking a bunch of kids to a park and things happened. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I think that is kind of refreshing to to have a hero who just kind of doesn't really, he's not trying to be a hero. He just is. Completely agree. It's like, putting the inspirational part of Superman in somebody that has no powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because that's the fly explicitly says he's trying to do that. He's trying to be aspirational. And again, you know, that's what we see with harmony. It's, it's even wearing down harmony. Was there anything else you wanted to say about this issue? Uh, just that. I think um, it seemed like an overly complicated thing for the crooks to be like, the only way to get into the chop shop is to have a gun <laughs> in a shooting gallery that we'll say is out of order that you put a slug into that you shoot a specific target that opens up a door. Like there right. should have just been like, I'll have a door that has a key, right? That, <laughs> that probably, that probably yeah. would be an easier way to go around it. Because yeah, and, and, and it's a special bullet. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, it's, uh, that is a lot of work. Yeah. Why, why didn't they just give that guy at the, at the counter a buzzer? He just you know, let him in. No, exactly. Because one of the reasons why the fly gets all is like, you know, oh, I'm going to go to the shooting gallery and win something for the kids. Don't use that gun. You know, that gun's out of order. Right. And uh, uh, so it it just seemed almost like a Dr. Evil, like overly elaborate (laughs) thing that's that's going to uh, ultimately lead to you being caught, which in the end it was. Um, Right. But but otherwise, I'm just so glad that you gave me this issue to do because I just read this and I was just smiling the whole time uh, because it, it really was just like a palate cleanser for so much of what I see in comics these days. You know what? There was one thing I forgot to mention. There's not a letters page in this issue, which is the first time since issue three that there has not been a Mm -hmm. letters page, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. I don't know if it's just a matter of they had too many regular and house ads to get in there. Or I wonder if 
this is a sign of things to come. I wonder if the if the book was already struggling at this point. I don't know, <laughs> obviously, uh, but as we've mentioned before, you know, this is this only had a 19 issue run. And in those days, you, you know, the, the companies used to give their comics a little more time to find an audience and, you know, it, it wasn't two issues in and if it didn't perform, it was gone. So, yeah, I kind of wonder if the letters were already starting to dribble in rather than you know, pour in. I don't know. I, I thought that was uh, curious that there wasn't a letter page this time around. Yeah, it's a shame because I often find reading the letters pages in these old com- to, uh, comics to be just as much fun as the comics. Well, we'll have to see what happens in the next issue. And thank you so much for being here. This is, you know, I was trying to, we, we had talked, you know, a little behind the curtain stuff. Uh, you were originally going to be on uh, an earlier episode, Life Happens. <laughs> and, yeah. and we we couldn't get that together. So I'm, I'm just really glad that you were able to uh, join me for this one. Yeah, and I just have to applaud you because uh, I thought that doing a Supergirl blog was showing love for a character <laughs> that you know maybe isn't like universally appreciated. A human flycast is that's just tremendous. So, so I mean, kudos to you. <laughs> well, you know, if I can uh, if I can get some love for an obscure short run comic book from fifty years ago, then darn it, I'm going to do it. Thanks again, Ange. I, I really do. You're always a great guest, and it was so much fun talking to you about this comic. Thanks again for inviting me, because I really loved it. All right. Where can people find you online? I do most of my social media on Twitter, where I am at uh, DrAnge70, and I do run that Supergirl uh, website that also covers uh, Superman and Legion uh, current comics, uh, and that is called Comic Box Commentary. Again, Ange, thank you so much. The Death Defying Human Flycast is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. If you'd like to subscribe or leave a comment for the Human Flycast, you can do that on our website at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at Human Flycast and on Instagram at FWP underscore Max. Be sure to follow and tag the network with hashtag FWPodcasts. The Death Defying Human Fly list, a playlist including all the music featured in each episode so far, can be found on Spotify, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes. If you'd like to support the Fire and Water podcast, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts, where you can make a one-time or monthly contribution and unlock various rewards, including getting name-checked on this or any network show of your choice. Support the network and reap the rewards. Thanks again, High Flyers. And remember, the wildest superheroes are real. Rocky Point Tradition Cause